All right, I'm Mike Netzer here with David Liggett. This is Hawk Podcast 29. We're continuing our series through Data Center Fundamentals. This is part two, talking about what is co-location. Next. All right, Dave, well, before we get started, I thought it'd be fun to share with our listening audience. Uh, one of the things we've been doing here with the team is yes. every week we have a competition, and there's a category, and whoever wins the previous week is to be the judge for the current week. That's I right. thought it would be fun to share what uh, what those contests have been, and yeah. specifically your entry into each of those contests. Oh, specifically my entry? Yeah, specifically your entry, because <laughs> oh. I think it gives some good insight into the mind of David Liggett. I love that. And so, yeah, we have a competitive, I'm, I like competitive yeah. environments, and oh, so yeah. we try to do that in uh, some really great ways, and also some really maybe light ways, and so this is, I always call this light competitiveness. Yeah, I sometimes think of it as like, Although it brings up if you had like a pen, full of starving hyenas and you just like took a big hunk of meat and chucked it in the middle of it <laughs> that is what you do with That's our right. team you give the amazon gift card very generous of you yeah. and you incent people to reveal embarrassing things about That's themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly just it's yeah it's just for my benefit anyways so okay so first let's oh start easy favorite food and let me just say one more thing the intent of these conversations is to foster i feel like it's to foster team togetherness yes. and there is a there is a legitimate I, uh beneficial purpose yes. to this which yeah. is good okay and we ap- appreciate you taking lead on this by the way okay so favorite food that that wasn't the category actually remember it was like most oh yeah so yeah yes so i was going to preface that by most saying like surprising food that you eat yes and so some That's of these are we did like okay. favorite movie yes. actually, i actually didn't have them there but the part of the intent is that it's it reveals something about you. Yeah, you like bet. favorite food, chocolate milk, or sure. or, or pizza. Yes, that didn't reveal a lot about you. So 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 some of it is most things that it make let us know something about you. Yeah. All right. So Building. favorite food that you like that you don't think a lot of other people like. Thanks. Green beans. Green beans. Okay. Next Mo- one. Moving on. Thank you. All right. Uh, favorite movie, and this I really would like to have track. part of if yes. you could recreate the impassioned. Uh, promotion that you gave this movie in the actual competition one of my favorite my favorite movie ever is braveheart Mm -hmm. and uh i think it has a story for everyone in there so i think there is the the guy side of me like i like i like the long uh i don't know if hair what's that hair the long hair i I like the historical i like that it's based loosely on a true story um i like that he's fighting for an ideal for his country i like that um, Accents are pretty cool too. That's right. That's there's not, a love story for the ladies. Story. So anyway, I just uh, that that was that would be my favorite movie. Favorite and I'm still trying Brave to get. Heart. I will tell you, there's one person on our team that has never seen this movie. Actually, I believe it. And I have asked this said person. I have I have said, hey, we'll shut down work for a day so that you will watch. We will do a screening. Home. Yes, and still that person will not watch it. So if she's... Li- <laughs> I can't think of a, better, of a better way to watch that she's movie listening. than on our poorly lit projector with right. a computer audio. That's right. That's okay. really the, the, the intended uh, consumption. Right. All right, favorite band. Oh, it is Do you remember what you'd switch switch Yes. Yeah. So I Dare You to Move. That's right. Their hit, <laughs> hit song from That's 2000 right. and 1999. Yes. All right, your favorite T-shirt. Do you remember this one? I don't remember what you had. Mm-hmm. Waco. 
Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes, thank, thank you. you. V- yes, Vtex uh, oh, barbecue VTX in barbecue, Waco. Yes. They produce the gut pack. If you're from Baylor, oh, you yeah. know exactly what this is. Uh, and I think Mike was the judge on that one. And I said to Mike, I would use part of the proceeds to drive him to Waco to eat some of that. And I still did not get it. As picked. tempting as that was, we do need to say why Rhett won. Rhett had oh, a, right. <laughs> I can't remember the exact phrasing right. of it, but it said, my favorite type of oh, leg, day. leg day. My kind of leg day. And it was a turkey leg. Yes. And then what, and it, so it was, a, it was a CrossFit joke, point one. It was about eating, point two, and had a pun. Point three. Mm. So Rhett just, I mean, that's that's an all-timer, sure. And what does the back say? Be, uh, feast mode. Oh, yeah, oh, feast mode. So great. So strong. So great. So strong. That was good. That is one well of the done. greatest shirts, maybe ever. Yeah, I think it's time for Rhett to either wear a microphone on these What was you talking about? Conversations. Did you, did you add that for yourself? Okay. Oh, good. It'll, it'll be uh, okay. low quality, but it'll be all right. I'll be all right. All right. Okay. Uh, favorite drink? Uh, I did green, uh, lemon lime Gatorade. Lemon lime Gatorade for a lot of reasons we won't get into. Sure. A favorite vacation spot? Uh, I did St. Bart's. Oh yeah. So that was that's that's a little bougie. It is. But you, drink, you had to have been drinking Topo. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> I don't. Topo feel like... when I don't know if Topo was around. This is where I went on my honeymoon. So this is 17, 18 years ago, and I don't know if Topo was around then. All right. So we'll give you a pass there. Thank you. I'm sure I was drinking. By the way, I've got bougie. Spin, yeah, grapefruit bougie. spindrift. This is delicious. Yeah, it's like, it's a good solid, not too bougie drink. That's option. right. Water. All right, last one. Our right, second to last candy. Favorite candy. Uh, I did Sour Patch Kids. Yes, you said. did. That is this, that's such an. I think most people will find of all those f- facts the most interesting about you is that you are a Sour Patch Kid. Like I love sour candy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Love it. Good and good for you. All right, and the last, we're gonna really try and get Rhett to bring this in to the uh, to flash this up in the mm. final version is awkward high school photo. This is one that I won apparently. You uh, won, but you know, but I think it's more just because it was like a picture of kind of a, it was an awkward picture. Well, it was a good story, that, and it was yeah. an awkward picture. And well, it was I mean, my senior year of high school, and I had longer hair, and it was like bleached blonde, and. It the consensus awful. amongst the team is yeah. that you looked like a cross between the two older brothers from Home Improvement. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, That's JTT. Good. Everybody I, knows JTT. Yes. And then the older one, one who everybody had, always forgets his name. Yes. But they the, kind of look like a mashup the, between the two. The bigger one had, it was kind of his He did hair. have the hair that was yes, like the middle, the middle part. Oh, yeah, God, so awful. You, I'm gonna, I know it's, it's a, we're contractually obligated to mention CrossFit despite all the controversy. But you and I both share, mine started to heal. You have kettlebell finger. I've got some KB, kettlebell finger KB going on. finger, yeah, it's right there. It's a rash from all the kettlebells we did whenever, <sighs> Monday got, or something. Yeah, I got that, and yes. You got all sorts of ailments and little, maladies. Yes. All right, Nick so that's that. fun. Again, it's just a little thing we can do to keep fostering team togetherness. Yeah, and this is actually, so, yeah, on. I would say if you're leading a team, this has been really fun. It's probably been a highlight, you know, uh, Maybe some people have a lot of highlights from like working from home in this season. I think this season has obviously been hard in a lot of different ways. So this has been a fun way for our team to stay connected, you know, share things that are appropriate about one another that yeah. are fun to fun to know. And um, and you know, I've certainly have enjoyed it. It's been fun. It has, but and it, it does underscore the fact that you have to. You're not just gonna fall. You're not gonna back into this. You have to be intentional. You yeah, put a little bit of time and thought. Yeah. And and again. It seems silly, but pick even picking the categories is fun and yeah. kind of a challenge because you want it to be again something where you're learning something about yeah. your coworkers. So next week is favorite favorite, this book. Week's favorite book. Favorite yeah. book. I'm the judge. Yeah, there you go. 
All right. So uh, again, before we jump in, so t- today we're talking about what is co-location and just helping people understand the concept of co-location. Before we do that, one fun little data center fact. This is again, if you're new to the industry, these these things are fun. If you've been in a while, you probably take them for granted, but it's still really cool. It's talking about some the history of some of the more iconic or important buildings uh, yes. in the data center industry. So this one, you know, is uh, 60 Hudson Street, which is one of the main. Um, internet connection hubs in New York City and on the East Coast as a whole. I mean, it's really one of the most well-connected buildings in the entire world. Uh, but it got its start, you know, it was, uh, you know, built back in 1930. It was built by Western Union, and it was going to be like their main telegraph hub. So in some ways, the data center of the 30s. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, some fun facts about the building is like it's, it's built with 19 different shades of brick. So it goes from darker to lighter as you go huh. up. Just a fun little fact. But anyway, so then they moved out in the 70s and telecom started to move in. And then after that, you know, the data center company started to move in. So today, again, it's yeah, it's a huge interconnection. Yeah, hub. Carrier Hotel, you know, this yeah. is these these facilities, and we've done a podcast on it and talked about it before, but these facilities are because of their historical ecosystem are just they're so unique and so important to your point. Uh, in the data center landscape as a whole. So uh, these are fun. And they all have a very, like, interesting story. They do, they do. And, like, we talked about, like, the Nabisco building is also in New York City. goes back to, like, the 1880s. And first Oreo ever made there is now, I think, a Google data center. Anyways, but you're right. And a lot of these, they... 111 East State. Nobody set out to make a carrier hotel in the 30s. They didn't know what it was. Just happened. Uh, It just happened. And some of these, by the time (laughs) anybody realized how valuable they were, they're so ingrained in the you know, ecosphere yep. that they're just nearly impossible to, to dislodge. Yeah. And in, if you're, you know, jumping into the industry right now, I mean, these are buildings that traditionally have, you know, a lot of telecom and connectivity to them. Uh, a lot of different network cloud providers there. And also, you know, co-location providers will want to have presences in these buildings so that, that, so that their customers can connect specifically to that, you know, infrastructure in, in that facility. So, yeah, it's a really cool Western about. Union building in New York, 60 Hudson Street. It's a weird, it's like a trapezoidal also. The architecture backstory is also fun. Yes. All right, so today we're in part two of our podcast series that is a companion to our blog series that we did on data center fundamentals. Yes. Uh, last time we did, what is a data center? Yes. Great to be able to answer that question with uh, <laughs> sure knowledge. Yep. Uh, today we're talking about what is co-location. So just explain the concept of how companies lease space from other companies for their digital infrastructure. So... Off the top of your head, what is co-location? Yes, it is when a company leases digital infrastructure from a data center operator. And there's a history behind it. I mean, the, the basic understanding of this is companies did this for a long time by themselves. And there's inherent challenges when you do that. Technology changes, you acquire a company. I mean, there's all these different things that create issues with doing it yourself. And so back in like 07, 08, 09, the market really shifted. And, and data center owners or operators started doing this in a, in a much more mature fashion. So this was not just a cobbled together, hey, we've got four facilities that we've just kind of bought, and now we're offering co-location. It was a very, like, structured business model. They were building it uh, in a very industrialized fashion. So it, it looked the same and felt the same in all these different markets. And that really, that really created this co-location market that we're in today. All right, so let's talk about, you know, company A. They've got some digital infrastructure in-house, maybe a couple different servers spread across the country. Talk through the, just the, the high-level timeline that they would go through to 
from the first time they decide, hey, we need to move this to an, an offsite. We're going to outsource this through the final move in with the co-location facility. Yeah. The first thing com- those companies have to understand is what do we have, which is a process you have to run internally to understand really like what you're using that for. Because because if you go to relocate or consolidate data center infrastructure from one, two, five, however many locations into one, the first thing that a great data center operator or provider will ask you is, hey, what are you using this for? Because they have done this, it might be your first time, second time, third time to do this. They do this every day, all the time with financial companies, healthcare companies, technology, all these. So so you got to know what you have. And then two, it's probably a on the on the faster side, four to six months. On the you know longer side, up to a twelve to eighteen months to really go through the process well, so that your company's set up, you know, in the future for success. So it takes time. It's not it's costly, uh, and it's not something you want to get wrong. You, know, you got to get it right because if if you don't do it right, you'll pay the price not just then but years from now. Sure. So they've got once they kind of have an understanding of what their current setup is needs etc you know next steps are yeah so you'll typically you know figure out a geography you want to be in if if you decide that cloud is not for you which we'll talk about in one of our future uh, podcasts uh, as it relates to this fundamental series but but if you decide that it makes sense to have physical servers and racks of gear in a data center facility you want to figure out where you where you needed to be from a geography perspective it does matter based on what what the applications are serving uh so you're gonna to have to find out hey who are the people or the businesses that i could do this deal with and, and what facility you know makes sense for me to go in what are my the the compliance and infrastructure requirements that we have to meet to make sure that this meets our business needs and our chief information officer, our chief financial officer can get comfortable with the money that we'll spend and the security needed, all those things. So you've got to go out and and kind of define the universe, figure out who you want to do that with, and then, you know, move forward from there. And then it's a, it's a sales process on their side, you know, so they're, you issue RFPs and you get proposals back and you compare apples to apples, what they're offering, which is a process and a challenge. And then you, you know, down select from there and figure out who to go with. Yeah. So talk about the, the the bids or the quotes process as far as what what's on those that's going to be different than maybe if someone's used to an office lease or an industrial lease that they're you know that's going to be unique to a co-location lease yeah i mean one is just i mean very simple is just like site access and understanding how you know are you in a, a if you're a smaller if you have five cabinets are you in a, a caged environment that's just yours or are you in a, a, a locked cabinet environment that's open to everyone that walks into a data hall. So just understanding things like that, understanding redundant whips and, um, you know, or redundant infrastructure. This is something that one, if you're joining the industry, one of the things you'll hear some people talk about is retail co-location and wholesale co-location and all that. There's some, you know, different ways to define all that, but just think retail co-location, smaller requirements, wholesale co-location, bigger requirements. And, all, all smaller companies have different requirements and bigger companies have different requirements. Now we, we there's a whole other section section of the co-location market, which has to do with hyperscale requirements. And these are really big power requirements that are being done in markets across the world. So, um, but you will see things back like, hey, what is the infrastructure 
uh, what is the redundancy of the UPS systems, the generators, the cooling equipment within a data center facility. You'll see things like a service level agreement to be communicated. What is the data center operator telling you that they will guarantee to you? And what are your what are the ramifications if they don't guarantee that? Uh, you'll see a price per KW per month, typically. People need to know if that's is, is the electricity cost included in that or is it in addition to that these are all real costs that companies will have to pay so just understanding the financial and economic uh, agreements that you're making is is really important and different providers have different costs they're willing to uh you know to communicate on those on those proposals so it's economics it's infrastructure it's legalese uh and that typically comes in like more of the lease or the the master services agreement than it does in the proposal. But those are all the type of things that you're looking to understand. Yeah. And take a step back for a second and, and talk about, you know, what's typically the triggering event that's going to cause a company to make the move from in-source to outsource digital infrastructure. Outdated technology. So, you know, uh, hardware refreshes can cause a company to go, you know what, do we want to buy all this again? Or do we want to, do this in another format. So that so just technology change. So that's one thing. Uh, to any type of like service disruption, network outage, power outage internally, all eyes are looking in going, hey, why did this happen? And do we have an environment that it makes sense to continue to do this within? Or wait a minute, we have Fortune 500 companies and Fortune 1000 companies that are doing this with other people. So, that, so, so an unfortunate event can cause that to happen. Um, you know, I would say, company changes acquiring other companies so as an example if you have you know three office locations across the u.s and you have a small data center component in each of them and you acquire another company that has one data center location and you can consolidate those three into that or do something else that's more effective you know that can happen too so just general business changes but all those are good examples of why companies are evaluating this i mean your it infra a company's it infrastructure plan has to be like constantly evaluated because things are always changing. And if you put a plan in place and you think it's going to last you five, 10, 15 years of business, either you have a very definable business for a long period of time, or you're, you're not looking at the changes that could impact the market and impact your solution to your customers. All right. So, you know, you mentioned a second ago, price per KW per month yes. being how these leases are typically defined. So I think it's important to understand what does that mean? And when you sign a lease for 10 KW or 100 yeah, KW sure. or a megawatt, what does that mean as far as, you know, the, the potential versus actually used, you know, power, et cetera? Yeah, this is one of the biggest challenges for people coming over from the traditional commercial real estate side of things into the data center industry. Commercial real estate side of things, everything is based off your the square footage. You know, if you're doing an office lease, it's square foot per year. If you're doing it or month, I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, but this is when you uh, sign a lease with a data center operator for co-location, you are signing to have access to a certain amount of infrastructure that you can use. Um, and so there is a price per KW kilowatt per month charge that you will pay for that infrastructure. That is how the lease or master services agreement is going to be set up if the deal so i think that there is a loose analogy to an office space where you're going to lease one floor of a building ten thousand square feet and yes. if you put two people in there or a hundred people in there you're paying for 
that. Absolutely. And so there's some there's some of an a, analogy that makes sense at some yes. level. Yes. Yeah. And there's also with your electricity. So that's that that what I mentioned before that price per kW per month. That's one thing. Then you have your electricity that traditionally, as you get bigger and like the wholesale deals, is on top of that. So that is a it's a combination of how many hours are in a month, the PUE, the efficiency of the facility, and the electricity cost that the data center operator has contracted with whoever the power provider is. And those three things, those three things get you the price that you're going to pay for the electricity that you use. So your lease could be for 100 kW, but you might only use 25 kW, which is what you would pay on the electricity. Sure. So that's the way that the, the general breakdown takes place as it relates to like leasing infrastructure. It's a very interesting, it, believe me, it's not rocket science, but it's a very interesting component to this market and how it's changed over time. Yeah, and that's a piece that I'm probably a little bit less familiar with. So, you know, your your needs, <clears throat> if, if you look at, you know, again, part of the taking inventory <laughs> yes. is you're understanding, you know, what are our needs gonna be throughout the month? And they're gonna go up and down, right? So if you sign a 100 KW lease, what would that reveal about what they think their actual usage is going to be? Because they probably don't think it's going to be at 100. It can't be. Because they don't yeah. want it to go over. Yeah, it can't be. And there's yeah, a, and that's again a whole other sure. yeah. something you got to solve for in the lease agreement. But, you know, so if you're if you're signing a 100 KW lease, what do you think their actual usage is typically going to be? Yeah, typically the data center operator will ballpark when they when they let someone sign a 100 KW lease. They'll ballpark that from anywhere from like 60 to 80 percent of utilization. So there's some providers out there that are probably laughing because they know that they've they've there's been users that have over provisioned themselves. Mm-hmm. So they might lease 100 kW, but they're only using 20. And and that's one of the strange things about our space. It is hard to add more over time for different reasons. And so you want to make sure that you are looking at the future enough uh, from a power perspective that you have that capacity. Um, basically reserved so that you can use it. So anywhere from 60 to 80%, I would say, is a appropriate planned utilization rate, even though that's probably not what most groups utilize. I'm trying to find, I think it was podcast 13. Yes, it was podcast 13, where we talked about Gosh, challenges facing memory. the end user. Yeah, 16 podcasts ago. Unbelievable. We've come so far. Go, what a run we're on. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we, I think you, you spend some more time on that specific uh, uh, piece in that. So yeah. podcast 13, check it out. Uh, all right. So great. So that's very helpful, I think, to understand yeah. how these things are signed. And, and But at the end of the day, it can be a little bit of a guessing game. And, and I think we talked about in that last podcast about how you want, as you're an end user, you want to write as much flexibility into the lease as you can. If you're the operator, you want them to sign 100. If they're only sure. using 20. But. Okay, so talk about you know the different sizes, yeah, of of leases from retail, wholesale, hyperscale, and in kind of how those are typically operated or signed or structured. Yes. Okay, these are generalizations. So there's a lot. There's people on here that if you've been listening to our podcast and you're we talk about like in the weeds of the space, like we are. You'll, oh, it's fundamentals. This, you'll is, not, some, this is a yeah. one-on-one level course. You'll have this some is not HSOs a about this, but yes, you know. Okay, but so if you got the HSOs by all means, just. Drop them in the comments. Well, David will respond to them. <laughs> Hot I'm sports sure. opinions. That's what the sure. HSO stands for. So, re, so think this: retail co-location, small; wholesale co-location, bigger; hyperscale, largest. So you got like convenience store, Costco. <laughs> What's the biggest? I don't. 
uh, warehouse, uh, actual warehouse, sure, forklift. Yes. So the the retail side, I would say, let's say zero to, uh, let's say zero to fifty cabinets, just to be you know, so zero to two hundred fifty kW of power that is used in that requirement. You know, the wholesale space you could say is two hundred fifty kW to, you know, I would say two, three, four megawatts. Okay. And this is the space that back in 0809, 2010 really started to grow because of some of the capital market challenges. Companies decided they did not want to, companies with big needs decided they didn't want to do this themselves anymore. And there was a financial equation that you could look at over a 10 year period that it just made more sense to lease this infrastructure than it did to, to do it yourself. And then what we've seen in the last four or five years is large companies so let's say five megawatts plus five to ten meg plus deals out in the market that have redefined the industry and you've had a lot of focus on about 20 companies that are doing work in this like hyperscale space and this would be the big tech companies international companies that are growing social media brands i mean these are the type of companies that have these big needs and that's the hyperscale category so from a size perspective that's where it would be from a power standpoint yeah, and again, if you can, just kind of understand what would be like a typical customer in each of those bands. You're starting with retail. You, know, you mentioned the hyperscale. Yeah, I would say on the retail side, think of like a small healthcare company. That's a you know, good example. I would say in the wholesale range, think of a mature financial company. It goes, hey, I have security needs. I need autonomous infrastructure. I need infrastructure that only I control or only is allowed you know, access to me. And then, um, and then on the hyperscale side, you know, large tech companies that are doing massive things globally. Yes. It's, you know, the scale of some of these deals are pretty mind-blowing. Oh, you it know, is. You're talking like 20, 30 meg deals. Yeah. Where, you know, again, that's megawatts. Yeah. So of, and this of is, power that's, you know, it's small cities worth of power. Yeah. That just so we can watch our cat videos sure gotta have them gotta have the cat videos and so again you know this is probably its own it's entirely its own podcast but you know talk a little bit about co-location versus cloud and and what what those things mean uh and and then you know how companies are splitting up workloads and stuff yeah i mean typically like think co-location i actually have like a physical presence in a specific data center i know exactly where that is cloud i have a presence in a region you know with a data center um with a cloud provider that uh, I don't, I don't have to, you know, I have not physically bought a server cabinet and servers that I've actually put into, uh, you know, a data center. Like I, I'm basically leasing that infrastructure uh, in a way that I don't have to, you know, that's not in a co-location facility. It's in a, with a cloud provider. So from an infrastructure perspective, that's an easy, hopefully understanding of, you know, you can get, you know, more detailed on the technical side, but that's, that's like an infrastructure understanding of the difference between co-location and cloud. But, you know, the, the advantages of co-location are, uh, you know, there's more flexibility there today than there's ever been before. But some of the disadvantages of are, are that like you do still have to buy the gear. Yeah. So there's a bit of a CapEx, you bet, you know, so, component there. Yeah. So less than you owning it. Cause you're not owning the UPS systems and the things that you need to own to produce that for your own company but um there is there is people that are still in that middle zone of we can't just put everything into cloud it just doesn't make sense for what our business needs are etc and that's one of the things that we've you know we we certainly have seen the cloud market grow uh but 
you know, I think it's not ta taking all the co-location market away. Uh, and in fact, it's only adding to the, to the larger co-location market. So it's an interesting, cloud and co-location have an interesting relationship. And I think one of the, if I think about what are going to be the biggest stories in our space in the next five years will be how that relationship grows. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, what we've heard, or maybe I've heard, and you surely you've heard is, what, and again, this makes me think back to the end user podcast we did about how a good, you know, like CIO or whoever's running the project will get all the stakeholders involved. It's a financial decision. Yeah. It's a technology. It's a strategic decision. But I think, you know, seem, seem the cloud is really good salespeople. And I think you might have seen is like the CIO is like, hey, we got to be in the cloud. Yeah. And then maybe that's not the most informed position, but they just think, hey, got to be in the cloud. It makes most sense. Yeah. Connectivity everywhere. And like you said, I think there's it's going to be a pendulum swing yep. over the next few years. So yeah. we will watch with bated breath. All right, Dave, well, great thoughts as always. Again, if you are new to the space, check out the Fundamentals blog series. Uh, and we're going to continue to do these podcasts as well. So if you've got you know topics you want us to cover, shoot us a note. I'm sure you can find us if you're watching this. You can get us on social media or what have you. So uh, stay tuned for the next one. Mm -hmm.